right? All right. Everybody got their Bible to Philippians chapter 4? Three of you. Okay, the rest of you. I'll take a little time. All right. Everybody to Philippians 4? All right. That's what I'm talking about. I told you two weeks ago that we would be talking or we would be diving into this series, Anxious for Nothing, and eventually we would get to Philippians. And I did not lie. Here we are today. This is what it says in verse, starting in verse number four. This is Paul writing to the church at Philippi. And he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Come on, praise the Lord for his word to us. Now, Paul is the author of this letter, but... Because we believe that the Bible, the Word of God, is the inspired Word of God, we need to understand that this is the Lord speaking to us through the Apostle Paul. And he gives us this command, be anxious for nothing, right? Rejoice in the Lord, rejoice always. And, and I, I think about this as a command, and, and maybe you have heard this as well. I have read on the internet, so therefore I am pretty sure it's true that the command in the Bible is given to us to not fear 365 times, one for every day of the week. I have yet to go through the Bible and highlight each one of them and count them. And if you do that, then please share that with me. But I ain't got that kind of time. But I'll take, I'll take the Internet's word for it and just roll with it. And I think it's a pretty safe assumption to say that the Lord does not want us to live in fear. He doesn't want us to be, live in anxiety. He doesn't want us to be afraid. And he gives us this via the Apostle Paul, not as a suggestion, but as a command to not be anxious for anything. And, and I don't know about you when I read that, but I, if I were writing that or if I were you know, putting my own spin on it apart from what the Lord himself is saying, I would want to give some supplementary material, such as be anxious for not a lot of things if you can help it. Because I want to go to Paul. This is my knee-jerk reaction. right? I want to go to Paul, and I want to be like Paul. Bro, you ain't living in 2023. Paul, you, you, you're not raising kids in the culture that I'm raising kids in. Paul, Paul you're, not, you're, not, you're not trying to raise godly children in 2023. I mean, come on, somebody. Paul, Paul, you have not seen the state of the political, governmental, economical environment of the United States, my friend. Paul, Paul you, you, you don't have on your phone or, you know, your, your tablet, which I guess that's funny because, anyway, you don't have... You don't have a news source that comes up every few minutes that tells you the new headline about a balloon or a, or a, or a drone or a this or a that. You don't have those things in your ear, in front of your face like I do. You know, sometimes I'd even say, Paul, you, you did not get the medical report from my doctor that I got. Paul, you, you haven't seen my bank account lately. 
You haven't seen my budget. You haven't seen how much they're charging for rent. You haven't seen how much they're charging for groceries these days. And I got five people in my house, and I like to eat, Paul. I like eggs. I especially like them when they're in a cake. Paul, you haven't seen my family. You didn't go to Thanksgiving dinner with me last year and witness the dysfunction around that table. Come on, I better get some more amens than that. And you're going you're to sit there, Mr. Super Apostle Paul, maybe the greatest Christian outside of Jesus, if, you know, if Jesus was a Christian, technically I guess he was, you know, according to some of our JBQers, his last name was Christ. There it is. I love that answer, by the way. You're right. You're going to tell me, sitting on your high horse, right, to not be anxious about anything? And I think the temptation might would be for us to say to Paul, if we could have a conversation with him, that's easy for you to say, Paul. You saw Jesus, right? Jesus literally did knock you off your high horse. And he, and yeah. Easy for you to say. Now, so let me, let me say it like this. All right, I've been pretty open about this. You know, I've tried since the first of the year to, to get healthy physically. I've tried to, to cut some calories, to lose some weight, start going to the gym. And, and I'm feeling pretty good about where I'm at. The Lord's helping me. My wife's not in here. She just walked out. She's helping me a lot. She was the reason I gained all the weight, and she's also the reason why I've lost most of the weight, just to be very honest with you. And here's the thing. When I want advice on how to take better care of my body, I do not go and find the person on YouTube who is genetically gifted, who, who you know, is supplementing with things that may or may not be of questionable repute, right? I don't go and find the guy. Not, he doesn't even have a six-pack. He has like a 12-pack, right? Like, I don't want to know what that guy says. That guy gets paid to work out. He works out five hours a day. He has no kids, no wife, no life, right? You know, I want to talk to the guy who's still got some loose skin hanging on. You know, does that make, you know what I'm saying? You smell what I'm stepping in? I want to hear from the guy on YouTube that works 40 plus hours a week, that's got kids in school, that doesn't, doesn't have his food delivered to his house in a box, ready to go, right? I want to talk to the guy who's making it work in the real world. I, that's the guy I want advice from. That's the guy that, that when I want to, to lose weight, that's the guy I want in my ear. And I think the temptation for us immediately when we read the words of Paul is to think that he's not that guy. But we have to remember that Paul is writing to a church in Philippi. He's writing from prison in Rome. And Paul wanted to go to Rome. That was one of Paul's greatest desires in life, was to make it to Rome so that he could preach the gospel specifically to Caesar and so that he could then be part of the Roman church and use the Roman infrastructure and then see the gospel go worldwide. The problem is, however, Paul gets to Rome and instead of being able to preach the gospel, he gets put in prison where the only option he has is to pick up the pen. And so if anybody has an excuse when writing to the church at Philippi and go, hey guys, listen, this sucks. I had all these dreams. I had all these goals. I had all these desires. And I was doing everything right. 
I was trying to be a good person. I was trying to be obedient to what God called me to do. And here I am, stuck in prison, unable to live the life that I am supposed to live. Come on. Anybody ever been like that before? And listen, if you feel like this, don't beat yourself up. Understand that the reason why you feel that way sometimes is because you're a human being. Anybody ever feel like life's dealt you a wrong hand? Well, Paul has every excuse to look at his surroundings and say, God, this is wrong. God, I've earned better than this. God, I deserve better than this. God, I've just been trying to do the right thing, and here I am getting all the wrong things. But instead of Paul writing a letter filled with complaints, instead of Paul writing a letter filled with even prayer requests, hey, Church of Philippi, pray for me, pray that I get out of jail, pray that I can go preach the gospel. Instead of Paul doing any of those things, instead of Paul writing a woe is me letter, Paul writes to them what is considered to be the most joy-filled, encouraging letter throughout your entire New Testament. And he says here, rejoice in the Lord, not when things are going well, not when things are just going, but rejoice in the Lord always, always. Don't be anxious. And this is why Paul is uniquely qualified, because he's the fat guy that lost all the weight, right? He's the guy with the flabby skin hanging right here, right? He's the guy that knows what it's like to struggle and still come out the other side of it. He's not the guy that that his parents left him a great inheritance that you go to and ask for wealth building tips, right? He's the guy that went bankrupt, learned his lessons, did the work, and now is is out of debt and living uh, in wealth. Not because somebody gave it to him, but because he earned it. He's that guy. That's the guy that Paul is. Paul is the guy who has the bumps, the bruises, and the scars, but he's come out the other side of it. And he tells each and every one of us, listen, life is going to hurt you. Life is not always going to be fair. In fact, if you've lived past the second grade, you've learned pretty much already. Life hardly ever is fair. And it's hardly ever easy. But in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the problems, you can still rejoice Always in the Lord. And you can still choose a life free of anxiety. And so for every heavy heart, for every troubled mind, for every tired body, there is good news for you today. And it comes from verse 5 of what we just read. And the good news is this. The Lord is near. Let's pray one more time. Father, we pause and we thank you for your goodness in our life. And I pray that over the next few moments that you will enable me to step aside as you step forward to speak to our hearts, to touch our lives, and to help us hear directly from your heart to be changed, to be transformed, to release anxiety, to Embrace a life of joy that is not dependent upon circumstance, but dependent upon the proximity that we have to you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys okay if I preach for a little bit this morning? So among my many hopes for Lifehouse Church, and I have 
lots of them. Most of them you don't know because if I told you, you would look at me cross-eyed and think I'm crazy. And that's okay because uh, I am. But among my many hopes for Lifehouse, and it used to actually be something that we said often, and maybe we need to resurrect this saying, is that, is that we would be a church of uh, real people living our real lives. And that means that we are living our real lives that are, are problem-filled, sometimes pain-filled, that, that are real lives that sometimes are carrying the baggage of the past around with us, that we would be a church of real people living real life together, knowing that we are loved by a real God. And it is because of that hope that I have always done my best. I haven't always succeeded, and sometimes I've done better at it than I should have, but I have done my best to always present myself in an authentic and vulnerable fashion from this platform. I, 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 I am told often by people in our congregation or people who listen to us online, and, and I know they mean this in a complimentary way. I don't always feel like it's a compliment because they don't know where it comes from, but but they mean it as a compliment. They'll say something like this to me. You are real. You ju you're just you. And, and, and the reason why that is, is I'm just a bad liar. I don't, I don't know how to fake it till I make it, guys. I don't, right? I know how to faith it till I make it, but I don't know how to fake it till I make it. I am who I am, and, and I think some of that is because I wasn't really raised in church, and I didn't really go to church a lot before I actually started leading in church. And so, um, you know, there's a lot of things that are normal for church culture that I still don't know to this day because I didn't grow up in it. I didn't see it a lot as a child. And, and I want to be real. I want to be vulnerable. I want to be authentic because I want you to know that you don't have to be somebody special to, for God to use you to minister into somebody else's life. I want you to understand that anybody who's ever taken a pulpit, whether they appear to be or not, they are just a human being like you. They are not special. They have just been selected for that specific purpose. And God, if they're being obedient, God is using them in that, in that assignment that he's called them to. And, and with this idea of being a real person and being truthful to who you are, being authentic about your struggles, and being vulnerable so that people can understand that you're not better than, you haven't arrived past what anybody else has uh, gone through, is that I also understand this. And this is, I want you to if, hear this today. Jesus did not suffer the penalty of the cross Jesus did not go through everything that he went through and then resurrect from the dead so that you and I could manage. So let me say it like this. You know, how we, we, we will greet one another and we'll say, hey man, how you doing? And a lot of times we will respond like this and we'll say this and we kind of say it tongue in cheek, but all too often we actually mean it a lot more than we think we do and we'll say something like, oh, I'm making it, man. Anybody guilty of that? Oh, I'm, I'm getting by. I'm get, but can I tell you here and now that Jesus did not conquer hell, death, and the grave so we could get by? Jesus, let me say it like this. Jesus did not go through everything he went through. He did not resurrect from the dead so that when it comes to the area of anxiety that we could manage it. 
Come on, Jesus did not do what he did and go through he went through and conquer all that he did so that when it comes to sickness, we could deal with it. That when it comes to lack, we could scrape by. So that when it comes to dysfunction, that we can manage it. He went through everything that he went through so when life happens in our life, that we could overcome it and that we could conquer it. That's why Paul says, when he writes to the Romans, he says, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I refuse, and you need to refuse, you need to make up your mind right now, whether you feel like it or not, to refuse to accept anything less than the more than conqueror life as status quo for, the child, for you as a child of God. Let me say it like this. Anxiety does not define you. You may battle anxiety, but don't you dare say you're an anxious person. Don't you claim that over your life. You, you're not an anxious person. You are a child of the king. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. You may battle anxiety, but listen, you're winning that battle because of who you belong to. Anxiety does not define you. Sickness does not define you. Cancer does not define you. Lack does not define you. Poverty does not define you. Family history does not define you. Addiction does not define you. Depression does not define you. Suicidal, come on, you better help me out. You're going to make me mad. Suicidal thoughts do not define you. Listen, I'll preach this by myself if I have to, but it'll be a lot more fun if you do it with me. None of these things define me. You know what defines me? Who he says I am. And you know who he says you are? More than a conqueror through him who loved me. That's who I am. I'm not an anxious person. I'm not a depressed person. I'm not a sad person. I'm not a dysfunctional person. I'm not a sick person. I'm not an addicted person. I'm not a sinful person. Bless God, I am a child of God. That is who I am. That is who you are. And so much of the struggle that we live in is because we have accepted upon ourselves an identity that was never meant for us. We have accepted upon ourselves a title of something that, that Jesus says, listen, why are you owning the thing that I've already defeated? Why, why are you holding on to something that he has already sent back to hell where it came from? So whatever it is in your life, if it does not look, sound, and feel like a more than conqueror life through him who loved you, then it is not normal for you. Normal for you is blessed. Normal for you is peace. Normal for you is joy. Normal for you is health. Normal for you is abundance. Normal for you is, is everything good that God has for you. Now, let me, now, does that mean, oh, if I'm struggling with anxiety, that means I'm, no, 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 hear me. We do not live in denial of the reality that we are experiencing. Rather, we live in acceptance of the greater reality that he has for us. Does that make sense? No, no, no. When I struggle with anxiety, I'm not going to walk around acting like I'm not having a struggle with anxiety. When I have a struggle with anxiety, and listen, I've been open about that. I've told you I've had issues with anxiety 
pretty much in my entire life. But it does not define me. It does not own me. It is a, it is a battle that I fight. And bless God, I'm going to fight that battle because I am more than a conqueror through him who loved me. I don't struggle with anxiety. Anxiety is going to struggle with me. Come on, some of you need to flip that around and start saying that to yourself. I don't struggle with depression. Depression is about to get bruised and whooped by me, though. You know, I don't, I don't struggle with sickness because I'm about to tear that thing up. You know, I don't, I don't struggle. It struggles. It thinks it's battling me, but I'm about to hurt it. And whatever the blank is that you need to fill in, whatever it is that you go through in your life that is less than the life that God has for you. Hear me, my friend. It does not define you. His word defines you. His truth defines you. Most of all, his love defines you. Come on, can we give the Lord praise one time? One of the things I love so much about the Bible is how it it doesn't, it doesn't pull punches when it comes to the, the characters of the Bible. Like it doesn't, it doesn't take people in the Bible and tell us all the good things about them and leave all the bad stuff out. Like it's very, you know, the, God in his infinite wisdom is very honest and very transparent about these people that we look up to and we call heroes of the faith, right? But they were real people, right? Once again, living real lives in the real world who were loved by a real God. And one of these people that I, I really love to study and talk about is Elijah. And you can read a lot of his stuff in 1 Kings. I, don't, I think it starts around 1 Kings 15 or 16. And Elijah was considered, and still is today, a great man of God. A, a hero of the faith. But Elijah really s- struggled and battled against anxiety. Honestly, Elijah even struggled with suicidal thoughts. And we're going to read about that in a few moments. But he was still incredibly used by the Lord. And you go and you start in 1 Kings. I want to say 1 Kings 16. You see Elijah gives a prophecy to a man named King Ahab. And he says for the next three years there will be a drought, right? And then through 1 Kings 17, God provides miraculously food and water and all these miracles in the life of Elijah. And then eventually it culminates uh, in 1 Kings 18 when Elijah has a confrontation. This is, the, this is the kids' church part we all know really well. Where Elijah calls forth the prophets of Baal, right? And they meet on Mount Carmel. And this is incredible moment where they kind of square off. And I kind of, it always makes me think of Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday at the OK Corral, right? It's Elijah and the prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel, you know? And, and, and so they square off and they both offer sacrifices. God, uh, Elijah offers his sacrifices to the Lord God and, and the prophets of Baal. And it's around 800 of them total. They offer sacrifices to Baal. And Elijah uh, starts making fun of them because they're, they're believing that their, their God is going to rain down fire and consume the sacrifice. And like one of my, probably one of my favorite lines in the entire Bible is Elijah looks at them and says, oh, maybe, he's, maybe he's going to the bathroom right now. Maybe he's otherwise occupied, right? And the King James says it best. But anyway, 
And, and then eventually what happens is Elijah prays this very short, very simple prayer. And God rains down fire from heaven and consumes the sacrifice. And if you know the story, consumes all the water that was poured over the sacrifice and all the trenches. And then Elijah does something amazing. He straight up executes all 800 of those prophets, right? I mean, just goes to town. It's like this wild, crazy story. And um, not sure that I'm on board with what he did, but that's what God told him to do, so we're going with it. It's an amazing encounter, right? It's all these awesome things. And then we go into chapter 19 of 1 Kings, and this is where we want to pick up the story today. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. Now, if you did not know the name King Ahab, you probably have heard the name Jezebel. Some of y'all might even have been called Jezebel before, but we rebuke that in Jesus' name. And he told, Je he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. She said, may the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. So here's a question for you. Have you ever lost it? Ashley, you ever lose it? I'm not talking about your keys or your wallet. I'm talking about it. You know what it is, right? Your, your mind. Yeah, who said that? Your mind. That's right. You ever lost it? Arlo. I bet Arlo's never lost it. Yeah, there you What about you, Don? You ever lose it? All, all the time. We're going to work on that. <laughs> yeah, baby. I get that. I don't know about you, but I've definitely lost it a few times in my life. But here's something funny about when I lose it. And you may even say the same thing. Usually the thing I lose it over isn't the thing that got me to the point of losing it. You know what I mean? Like, you, you know, it's like, it's just the icing on the cake, right? And then you lose it. And, 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 and then this moment was literally the straw that broke the camel's back for Elijah. And he lost it. This is what it says in verse 3. Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. Now, literally, I want you to sincere moment here. Elijah is contemplating taking his own life, I believe, at this point. He said he prayed that he might die. And he says to God, I have had enough, Lord. He says to God, take my life. For I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and he slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Now, Elijah had had enough. He was done. And maybe you feel like you have had enough. Maybe you're done. Maybe you are at the end of your rope. And if you're not, listen, and I don't mean this to be sarcastic or even tongue-in-cheek. But let's be real. If, if you live long enough, there will come another time, another season in your life where, where things are going to happen, and you're going to get to the point where you're going to say, okay, I'm done. I'm, I'm done. I'm over this. And, and when that happens, or if it's happening, I want you to consider, are you making the same mistakes 
Elijah made. Now listen, Elijah was a great man of God. Elijah was used by God to do so many things. Elijah literally prayed for a dead person and he came back to life again. I mean, this, we're not talking about some minor prophet. We're talking about one of, one of the big dogs of the Old Testament, right? We're talking about somebody who was incredibly influential during his lifetime, but even more so after his death. But Elijah was not perfect, and Elijah did make some mistakes. And, and so maybe today you're making some of those same mistakes. And, and maybe even better, maybe you can recognize these mistakes and, and fix them before they happen to you, and you tell God, I've had enough. The first mistake Elijah made was that Elijah was exhausted. Now, that may not sound like a mistake, but I want you to hear me out here. Elijah was exhausted. So the question I have for you is, are you tired. Now, we know from the previous chapter, 1 Kings 18, that Elijah had just completed a 100-mile run. We understand that if you go and you take your Bible and you look at where it says Elijah, he literally ran. It is a 100 miles. He actually ran so far that he ran out of road. Now, first of all, I ain't going on no 100-mile run, y'all. I ain't even going, listen, I'm not doing a mile run. I, unless something's chasing me, I'm not running. And even then, you know, sometimes I'm ready to go. It's fine. I can meet the Lord. But Elijah had just completed a 100-mile run. He ran, Marshall, until he ran out of road. And so when I ask you, are you tired, I don't mean like, could you take a nap? Because I think we'd all in the room say, yeah, I can get on board with that. I'm talking about tired. Like you have ran and you have ran and you have ran and now you are looking down and you realize I have done ran out of road. That's how tired Elijah was. He was tired physically. He was tired emotionally, spiritually, mentally. He had just come through three years of drought where every single meal had to be provided for him miraculously. And while I'm sure it was wonderful to watch the Lord provide for him, you've got to know waking up every morning and hoping that this day will be another day where God comes through for you has got to be exhausting. He had just went through three years of overwhelming and intense stress. He had went through three years of barely surviving. And he had been at the mountaintops literally of seeing God move. And now after three years of doing all these things, he is just done. And he's the kind of tired that, listen, uh, a good night's rest, it's not going to fix it. He's the kind of tired that even a vacation, listen, you can go take a week off, but when you come back, you still got all this stuff to deal with. It won't fix it, right? He's the kind of tired where unless God intervenes in his life, he's done. He's that kind of tired. The second mistake that Elijah made is that he left his servant behind. And so the question I have for you is, have you shut people out? In times of turmoil, in times of trouble, it is incredibly tempting to isolate. You know, you, you, you stop coming to church because you got a lot going on, and you're tired. And so you can't come to the 9 a.m. service because you're tired, but by the time you're up and ready for the 11 a.m. service, you're like, you know what, I'm just too tired to talk to all those people today. You stop attending life group because you may, I, got, I got so many things on my plate right now. I can't add another 
weeknight of activity to what I'm already doing. I'm so busy. I'm, I'm spread so thin. I can't do that, right? You stop responding to text messages from people who love you and are checking in on you. Like, hey, man, you know, I've been missing you. How you been? And you read it and you go, God, they just don't understand. And you put it back in your pocket and you keep moving on without responding. Or someone calls you to check in on you. And you know, as soon as you answer the phone, they're going to be like, hey, how you doing? And they're going to have all this positive energy and you are done. Come on, listen, raise your hand if you, like, you know what I'm talking about. We've been there before, right? You know, the easiest person in the world to lie to is yourself. You will never be as good at deceiving anyone else as you are as deceiving yourself. And so when we get in these moments of stress, when we get in these moments of, of where we have reached our wits end, it is so tempting to isolate. And as much as it looks like a good idea in the moment, my friend, I want to tell you, it is a trap. Because you are at your weakest when you are tired and when you are alone. That is when the devil starts working in your mind in ways like he can't do when you've got other people around you. The third thing Elijah was doing is that the only thing Elijah could see was all the bad around him. And so, so the, the third question for you is, are you becoming an overly negative person? Are you becoming increasingly negative? That the things that you watch, the things that you read, the things that you think about, the things that you see, and the things that come out of your mouth, are they increasingly negative? For Elijah, all he could think about was Jezebel, this woman who said uh, she's going to kill him. That became the entire focal point of his life. And when you're tired, when you're alone, and in our culture today, when you've got one of these things that you can scroll and you can read about all the bad stuff all over the world, and you can read about all the bad things, and you become negative. And when you become negative, you become critical. And when you become critical, you become cynical. And so what happens is you, you, you go on Facebook, and you see somebody going on a vacation, and you think to yourself, oh, it must be nice to have enough money to, and enough time to go on vacation. Oh, you see somebody that's got a new car. Oh, it must be nice you know, to, to, to do what they do and to be able to buy a new car. And, and so instead of being happy for people, you start criticizing people. And then in, instead, of, instead of seeing the best and instead of being a positive person and seeing how the Lord is working in people's lives. You, you read about a revival happening in T Kentucky and instead of celebrating that, oh, you begin to criticize because, oh, they're not doing this right and, oh, they're not doing that right and, oh, this isn't right. Instead of just being like, thank God the Lord is moving, right? And it's so easy when, when you're tired and when you're alone to just see everything through that filter of negativity and to become a critical person and to become a cynical person. And that was Elijah that in his exhaustion and in his isolation, it was as if, as if he just put on some glasses and all he could see was the bad. And, and I don't say this in a way to be critical, but it seems as if the older you get, the easier it is to do that. Elijah made one other mistake. And this is the one that we don't think we make, but we make all too easily. Elijah forgot about God. Elijah forgot that for three years, the Lord miraculously provided for his every need. 
Elijah forgot that the Lord had used him to literally raise dead people from or back to life. Elijah forgot what had happened on Mount Carmel and how God showed up mightily and miraculously and showed himself to Elijah. You can read in 1 Kings 16, 17, 18, miracle after miracle where God showed up in Elijah's life. And here we are now, and it seems as if Elijah has forgot that God even exists. Because one woman, one person has sets man, isn't that so typical how one person, one comment, one mean remark, one critical remark, can ruin a day or ruin a week or ruin a church for somebody. That's all that happened is one person was the straw that broke the camel's back. And here we have Elijah has essentially forgotten the God who has gotten him this far. When I first became the pastor of Lifehouse, Within just a couple of weeks after, after coming here, this is in the fall of 2017, I met with a financial advisor. We looked over the books, we looked over the finances, and because I knew I was in over my head and I knew that there were some problems and I knew it was bad, I didn't know how bad, I didn't know the depth of the scope of the problem, so I called in a professional. And we spent a few hours going through the last several years of financial information. And I know it's bad, but I didn't realize how bad it was until on his Excel sheet, he finally hit the enter button. <laughs> and all of the formulas begin to compute, right? And he looks at me and he doesn't tell me this, like, understand when I, when I say this to you, he actually told me this because he was worried for me and he wanted to help me. It wasn't, he wasn't being mean, he wasn't being rude, he was trying to be a good friend is what he was trying to do. And he looks me square in the face sitting across from a table from me and he says, I got three things to tell you. Number one, don't buy a house in Oak Ridge. You won't be here long. Number two, see if you can get your old job back. Number three, get ready to shut this church down. There's no way. And so that, yeah, in that moment, I think I may have texted my wife. I called her. She called her. And I actually think I said to her, I'm going to call our old pastor, see if he'll have me back. Like, I think that was the first thing I said to her. And then she said, no, no, no. She may have, no, she didn't. She don't cuss. I may have, but she didn't. <laughs> but I mean, it was one of those moments where I was tired. Because even before I became the pastor here, it was a year of just turmoil, right? I felt very alone because for almost six years, I'd lived in a community where I knew most everyone there and everyone knew me and I had uprooted my family and 
moving somewhere new and doing something new and doing something different. It was easy for me to look at everything going on and only see the negative. There was a lot of negative to see if I can just be very honest with you. And in that moment, sitting across the table from this financial advisor, I forgot there even was a God. So I talked to my wife and I'm like, listen, I think think we just need to face the facts that we've made a terrible mistake. She calls her dad. Her dad calls me. As much as I give him a hard time, he's a great man. Very solid, very even kill, very stable. And he calls me. And it was one of those conversations where I'm holding the phone, you know, like, like this, you know. You know, like you're just hoping your heart doesn't fly out of your chest. He says to me a lot of stuff. But he begins to remind me of all the Lord did to get us here. Now, many of you don't know that story. And I don't have the time to recap it all for you. But suffice it to say... The journey for us to become the pastors at Lifehouse had a lot of twists and turns, a lot of ups and downs. And to the point where there was a season or a a two month period where we, we weren't coming here and we knew we weren't coming here. And he reminds me, he says, remember how the Lord took that closed door and he kicked it off the hinges. Remember how when you looked at this situation, all you saw was impossibility, but the Lord made it possible. Remember how you didn't know how you were going to pay for this or do this, and miraculously God provided and God made a way. Remember how when you were praying that the Lord would make a way, and in your heart you just thought it was impossible, He showed up and He actually answered your prayer. A lot of times the things we are complaining about are answered prayers. I said, yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember that too. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember when I said that and then God did that and then yeah, yeah, I was wrong about that. Yeah, I remember that. And it all culminates in this moment where he says, If God was able to do all that, he said, you didn't come to Oak Ridge because a financial advisor told you it was a good idea anyway. You came to Oak Ridge because the Lord called you. So here we are, five and a half years later, the Lord's grown us. We're running two services now, praying and believing in the Lord. We break 300 for Easter. Come on, somebody. thing about God when we go through these seasons of doubt when we go through these seasons of we we say to him I've had enough I'm done I'm done instead of coming to us and saying all right you, you, you dummy that's you know that's how I think God should talk to me a lot of time all right you, you dumb dumb remember who I am remember who you are I got this you don't 
just relax. He approaches us the same way he approached Elijah. He approached him in love. I'm gonna invite our altar team to come forward right now and just gather across the front. We're gonna have a time of prayer in a moment. So if, go ahead and just make up your mind when I give the altar call for you to come up for prayer that you're just gonna come if you need it. This is how the Lord meets Elijah. God tells Elijah, go out and stand before me on the mountain. As Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. Where's my West Coast folks at? Yeah. But the Lord, as y'all will surely testify, was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire. Hey, West, Co West Coast folks again. It's probably a little too real. Shouldn't make fun of that. But the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. Why, why was God not in the earthquake? Like, I don't know about you, Ashley, but I know for me, like when I want God to show himself to me, I want like the big. Like I want to see, you know, the proverbial writing on the wall. I don't want that still small voice junk. Like, can I just be, can I be real with you? I want like, I want to see the mountain cast into the sea, right? Like that's what I want. But God wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. He was in the whisper. Were you in first service? Okay, good. This will work. Stacy, why do you think he was in the whisper? She loves this. Because you see, when I'm far away, what ifs 
And it's so easy at this point in your life to just forget that God is even there at all. But be reminded to, to this today that the Lord is whispering to you, hey, I'm still here. I haven't left. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, this is tough. I'm on your side and you are more than a conqueror not because you're so good but because I'm so good yeah, yeah you've even tried to push me away but hey, the harder you push the closer I come yeah, you've forgotten of things I've done in the past but that's okay because I'm a God who doesn't keep score I'm always on your side I'm always fighting for you I'm always with you I will never leave you I will never forsake you. I'm always going to be close. And I don't have to shout. I don't have to yell. I don't have to make the mountains tumble. I don't have to make the earth quake. Because you'll know that I'm with you. Because I'm close enough that you can hear my whisper. My friend, today, you can have confidence in who you are and in who God has called you to be. And you can say to the Lord, Lord, anxiety, it does not define me. The pain of my past, it does not define me. Depression does not define me. Suicide does not define me. Identity and gender confusion does not define me. Addiction does not define me. My parents' divorce does not define me. Nothing defines me except who you say I am and you say I am yours and I am defined by you the Lord makes us another promise he says I am near today if you need to be reminded that the Lord is near I want to invite you just from where you're seated right now to come find one of these four individuals Kristen will you come as well I'll be here as well find somebody around this altar because I don't want you to do it alone because we're not, we're saying no to isolation as well. But you need to be reminded today that despite the pain, despite the problems, despite the past, the Lord is near and He is.